I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts, Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And today we've got a really interesting guest, but first we're just going to have a little chat like we do now. Jen, how are you? I am bad. <laughs> oh, honey. I'm sorry. I wasn't going to. I'm bad. And I'm really excited because we have Heather Corinna on today to talk about perimenopause. And I am, I am I'm a mess. I mean, but I don't think we can talk about it for too long because I'm going to start crying. I am, I, my body is just up and down. I'm emotional. I'm angry. I can't, I have all these stomach issues and, and I'm starting to really like be really open about it. Like I'm talking to all my friends about it because I'm hitting what I think is like the, the whatever for me, bottom of perimenopause. And it's an all day and night affair and it's mm-hmm. it's just like it's overtaken well you know that's the thing i didn't realize this was an all systems go fucking problem it's taken over every part of my body but anyway we don't have to talk mm. about that for very long but i'm bad um we do have several recommendations of things we wanted to talk about <laughs> sorry i'm also a spaz <laughs> you are a little bit of a spaz I'm sorry i'm so spazzy um <laughs> We can be chiller. I can I can bring this energy down. Um, no, we, no, no. I prefer the spastic energy. Okay, well, good. Um, I yesterday we were talking about a number of things that we are watching, and I think that we were really excited to talk about that. So I think that we should I think we should tell listeners about hacks, which I think is excellent. Hacks is really hilarious, really hilarious. Very smart, a little cynical, but not too cynical. And it stars like a woman over 60. A woman over 60, and this was something I didn't know, and it really has changed the way I'm watching this show, is her husband died, Jean Smart's husband died 
like a few days before they started filming Hacks. And, you know, really close relationship, like love of her life. And he died unexpectedly of a heart attack right before she started shooting the show. And she just did it anyway. She said, you know, mm. I, all the, the whole crew, I was the lead. The whole crew was counting on me. All of these people, I could not do it. And I've been thinking about what an incredible performance this is just in general. But then mm-hmm. to know that someone was in such deep grief as they were yep. doing this show, it, it really is, it's, it's really beautiful to watch. And it's a really good show about being older and, and, and having someone younger, you know, around who's kind of, who's not really respecting you because they think you're old and they think your stuff's outdated, but then sort of understanding the, the sort of wisdom that you do have, the, the wisdom that comes mm-hmm. from all of your experience. So yeah, I really, I love that show. And the other thing I recommended to you yesterday was the Bo Burnham um, comedy special. Did you watch it? Not yet, because it was only yesterday. But since then, I have seen other people rave about it. So I am absolutely going to watch it. It's It's incredible. And it's one of those things where I always love to have a window into a younger generation's experience of the world, you know, because mm-hmm. we're not, we're not digital natives. Like we didn't, and, and that's for better and for worse, I think in a lot of ways for better. Um, and, you know, Bur- Bo Burnham is 30. He turns 30 in the middle of making this special. And it's just really interesting to watch. I don't, I guess he's a millennial, but maybe he's, I think he's millennial, but just to watch the experience of a different generation as they move through the world. And it's, it's kind of about the pandemic, but it's about a lot of things and it's really remarkable. And I think a piece of art, to be honest. Um, hmm. So I totally recommend that. Um, I recently watched my first episode of Black Mirror. Yes, you were telling me about that. And that show kind of, I feel like it's a show that would make me feel afraid and scared. <laughs> you were I saying think, it's I not scary. The episode I watched was not at all scary. It was actually very sweet and kind of romantic. Okay. Um, but I bet that there are scary episodes. Okay. So are you watching, are you, are you in it for that? Are you going to keep watching that? I don't think I'm in it for that. I think that I will watch occasionally. I did like it. I thought it was incredibly well done. And now I understand during the pandemic, all of the tweets people had, all the joking tweets people had saying, this episode of Black Mirror is really scary. Okay, okay, okay. Because that was kind of like a crazy dystopian thing that just happened. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm still watching The Handmaid's Tale even though it's like torture porn and but I, I can't do it. I know. I I, I got in. I'm a completionist and a ma- and a masochist, but I got in and I have to watch to the end. Like I can't just not know. And anyway, my husband dropped out so long ago. He was like, "I just can't watch these people just be brutalized again and again." Like I I like Elizabeth well, Moss too much, you know. Yeah, that's how I felt. I watched Moonlight recently for the first time, and I was just I thought it was a beautiful movie and I loved it, but the whole time I'm like, "Please just let something good happen to this guy." I know. I know. It is sad, but you know what? Sometimes when you're in a really bleak mood, sometimes I like bleak. I like it to just wash over me. <laughs> Just, yeah, it's like people people when they're depressed love to listen to sad music. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally, totally. 
there's um oh god i'm forgetting his name forget it i can't even talk about this because i forgot the guy's <laughs> name but there's a musician who was married for a minute to michelle williams but before he was married to michelle williams he was um he had a wife and she died and she was actually a, a graphic not a graphic artist and comic book writer and her comic book was really good but anyway he wrote this whole album right after she died and it is the saddest saddest album i've ever listened to huh. and i was very depressed like one summer and i listened to it every day <laughs> oh god so pathetic driving around los angeles like in la is a terrible place to be sad but driving around los angeles just crying and it just i oh, needed sweet. it it was what i know it sounds awful but it was cathartic honestly no, I think that's, I mean, I read when I've, I've been depressed, I've read really sad books. It's, it's helped. Yeah. Sometimes you just, I mean, what do you want in that situation? What do you want when you're sad? Do you want to be like, oh, I don't want to be cheery. surrounded by no, no, or happy, happy, happy people like happy, happy, happy people are really hard to be around when you're depressed. Totally. Totally. Like, yeah, I don't want like that. Like Monica Geller, like, let's go. You know? <laughs> That's what I was about to say. I was about to say, I don't want to watch friends when I'm depressed. <laughs> no, 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 it's too, it's too, it's too up. It's too pleasant. Um, all right, well, I'm, I really, I really love this guest. I really love their book. And I think this is a really useful episode. And I hope, I hope listeners do too. I do too. It doesn't, it's, it, Heather is incredibly frank, very funny, very smart, and doesn't give all the answers. And it's very straightforward about the fact that there may not be some answers. But, but they, but they, they share a lot of really useful information. And it's such a fun, a fun book about menopause and perimenopause. It's a fun book and it makes you feel less alone. So yep. let's get into it. All right. Our guest today is Heather Karina, a longtime queer feminist activist, author, and educator. They are the founder and director of the Sex, Bodies, and Relationships Information Clearinghouse, Scarlet Team. Heather is also the author of Sex, S-E-X, which is a progressive sex education guide for high schoolers and college students. And they have most recently written a book that I am obsessed with, What Fresh Hell Is This? Perimenopause, Menopause, Other Indignities, and You. And if you're going through either one of those things or any of these things, you need this book, believe us. Welcome, Heather. Thank you. Super psyched to have you here today. Super going through perimenopause. Literally feel like I'm in hell every day. Can't wait to have this conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Same. Thanks for having me. So can you share a little bit why you chose to write this book? I'm thinking specifically there's the anecdote you opened with, but I want to hear all the reasons. Why did you want to write about perimenopause and the menopause transition? <laughs> well, I, I didn't really. <laughs> so I, um, my, my editor that I worked with for this work and that I also worked with for both editions of SEX, I'm ride or die for Renee. Like, and if you want to know exactly how ride or die, read the acknowledgements and you'll, it's embarrassing how ride or die I am. And so whenever Renee is ready to do a new book and says, you know, give me your book list. I'm like, okay. And so I gave, Renee was ready, you know, and I gave her my book list and it was this long list of a whole bunch of things. 
And at the very end of that list, I was having a, you know, one of 80 million terrible, horrible, no good, very bad perimenopause days, as one does. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I was like, all right, I could write a stupid perimenopause book. And I was not entirely serious. Um, and as is the way of most things in my life, Renee went down that list and got to the bottom and said, that one, <laughs> that's the one that I want. And I was like, oh, no, right? because, you know, I'm in it, you know, like I'm still in it. Right. Um, and that was pre-pandemic. Right. So I didn't know that was coming. Um, because certainly my life plan did not include write a perimenopause book while in perimenopause <laughs> and a pandemic, <laughs> right. right? Like right. locked oh, in a very small room, <laughs> like all of these things were not in the plan. So, you know, I mean, you know, certainly once it was there, you know, obviously I could have been like, um, joking, you know, like, <laughs> no, but you know, I, you know, I thought about it and then kind of looked at it. And until then I hadn't really looked at what was out there and I hadn't really looked at what was out there because, you know, I mean, in my general glance at what was out there, it all looked like nothing I was particularly interested in, you know, it just didn't look of particular appeal to me. It looked outdated. Um, it was all very pink. Um, mm -hmm. it all, right. I mean, like, it's like really pink. It certainly all looked really straight. Um, you know, it just, yes. it didn't look like any of it was about me. I, and you know, this was a mistake mistakenly assumed that, it was all very uncomplicated and I probably knew everything there was to know about it. And that was just foolish because that was not even remotely true. Um, and, uh, you know, I, when I then kind of got a closer look at what was out there or kind of really more to the point, what wasn't out there, it was like, oh, may, like maybe, maybe there is something, right, that I, that I can add to this canon and maybe there is stuff that we need, especially because there was nothing that was written by a queer person. There was absolutely nothing that was written by a non-binary or trans person. You know, there were a couple of things, you know, I, I mentioned in the book that I really liked Sandra Singh Lowe's memoir. You know, she's a little older than us, you know, not much, you know, um, but it's, mm -hmm. a, you know, a memoir more than kind of a guide. You know, Darcy Steinke also wrote a memoir and she's our generation. But again, it wasn't really a, a guide, you know, so there wasn't health information in there. Um, and so it was one of these things where kind of, you know, the, the place where I was coming from, some, from somebody who's done health information as my work it kind of felt like, okay, <laughs> maybe there's something that I can add here. Um, again, the conditions in which I would be writing <laughs> was not really a plan. And it was one of these things too, where once I started looking at books, you know, as is obvious from kind of the minute that you read any of this book, I have not I've had a really hard time with this. My perimenopause has been long and it has been shitty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. And um, yeah. when I, the books that I have read, 
you know, if I read anybody who wrote it and they wrote it anything at all before it happened to them, I want to throw the book across the room. Mm-hmm. If I read a book from somebody who it's like after the fact and they're like, oh, it was no problem for me. I want to hit them with it really hard. <laughs> right. Like if it's like if it's like so far after the fact that like they've blocked it out or they don't remember it anymore. I get like there's just I personally right. And this is just personally right now while I'm in this, I really kind of only want to hear from other people who are also in this right like I just don't have a lot of patience for other people right. who are not also in this with me right now I just need those other people to just go away I'll talk to them later you know? <laughs> like, like yeah. later I'll be here for them but not right now it's so funny because the book um, in addition to the fact that it really does appeal to just about everybody who is going to go through perimenopause and menopause really effectively it um Wait, fuck. I just completely forgot what I was going to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our world. It's true, though. It's true. And let's not cut that out because that's a huge part of this, you know? Oh, no. Leave it in. Leave it in, right? So, but here's my question. It seems like, you know, menopause is gaining some traction. You mentioned a bunch of books that were written fairly recently. You know, Darcy Stanky was a guest on this podcast and, and, um, it feels like that's beginning to be discussed openly. You know, even Gwyneth Paltrow said the par- that menopause deserved a better publicist. But there's still so much mystery. Ugh, around- come on. I know, I know, I know. Sorry. I'm just, I'm just pointing out the, the breadth of it, you know. But, but sure. there's still so much mystery about perimenopause. Why do you think that is? Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons. You know, one of the things that I that I kind of like to mention and bring up is that, you know, for a lot of us, especially for people that come from immigrant families, from working class families, people of color, black people, a lot of us are only the first or second people in our fa- like in, you know, of our generation in our families to experience perimenopause because we come from families in which either people didn't live long enough, right? Like in my father's fam- side of the family, the most of the women didn't live long enough to, mm. to, to go through this. Or you're coming from families in which p- women, mostly women, had um, forced hysterectomies, right? Mm. Um, or right. basically die, a lot of the living, not living long enough were so many childbirth after childbirth until you had people with maternal mortality issues, right? So for a lot of us, this is where first or second in this, you know, for me, my mother did experience perimenopause, but it was at the same time that she got cancer, right? So obviously, we're not going to have the same experience because how on earth was she to piece apart what was happening because of menopause and what was happening because of cancer, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because that's a lot to have going on at the same time, right? So for me, like just if I take my personal experience, there's really no family information for me there. You know, for my sister and I, we're kind of the first here, um, because our my mother's mother before, again, it was, you know, birth after birth after birth until hysterectomy. So, you know, that, you know, that's really one piece. But then also, too, you know, another thing, and again, especially when you're talking about BIPOC women, when you're talking about immigrants, when you're talking about working class people, 
even people who did go through this, you have to bear in mind that we're looking at populations where in order for people to talk about this, you'd have to have the cultural setting and permission for people to talk about their suffering, mm -hmm. right? And these are not populations in which there's permission to talk about suffering, right? I was thinking about th that too. Yeah. Like I was thinking about working class people. You just muscle through things. Yes. Yeah, right. You just, you just muscle through. And so there's that part. And then I wonder if there's also you know, obviously there's shame. Right. There's a shame, there's shame around this time. There's ageism. Like it's just, you're embarrassed. You don't want to talk about it because it means you're old, right? Sure. Too. And I sure. think that, that women, like especially women in generations before right. us, but still it exists today. We lose our value as we get older. So why would you own up to or want to talk about this thing that's like, really showcasing the fact that you're about to become in the eyes of society worthless right well right and for cisgender women for femmes when the valuation in culture is there's so much on kind of erotic capital sexual capital and youth that yeah for sure it's a really big deal you don't want to give that secret away right and menopause right. is the secret that says those things that there's so much valuation on they're going away and and in that book feminine forever which i wanted to i wanted to throw your book across the room simply because it had those words in it the author sure. wrote, the author wrote all postmenopausal women are castrates right Right. I don't feel like that message has really changed that much. Well, and it's, you know, it's interesting because it's even in the ways that it has, it's like it's gone underground to marketing, right? Like if it's changed, it's changed in the way that you're being sold the solution. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it's yes. like, well, it's it's changed but only because you can buy the things that make it so you don't have to be that way you know what, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean right yeah no there's more than one menopausal beauty product company that launched just in the past year yeah you know yeah and you know i mean i don't know i i can't imagine that shit works i mean i you know i, I don't even want to i don't even want to get into it because i just i i the the capitalism and like now we're all supposed to cheer because capitalism has found menopause i'm just like oh great now just sell me another way that i'm broken and you can not fix me but i'll give you all my money if if <laughs> if greenwashing is what they call it when corporations try to look like they're green, what do they call this? That's what I want to know. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I read there was an article that came out a couple of months ago, you know, from one of these, you know, quote unquote, femtech companies. And one of the a woman that was starting one of these companies literally said she with glee you know there was a there was a glee and she was saying that you know it's such an untapped market there's so much money to be made and i'm just thinking are you fucking kidding me do you have any idea how many of us like i'm like who's going to take care of me right like i don't i'm trying to figure out especially somebody that's worked grassroots like you know I don't have a 401k right like I you know right. I didn't have kids I'm not married right like I'm like I'm just trying to figure out how I'm gonna pay for my nursing home <laughs> right like you want my money are you kidding right like I want your money <laughs> right. 
<laughs> what is this? But right. it's and it's really kind of something because I'm thinking, gosh, you know, here I'm trying to envision a situation in which we take care of each other, and instead I'm hearing from people that are looking to capital, you know, to to capitalize on each other, and it's really it's very disturbing. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about. So obviously, you know, our audience is a lot of them are going through this transition um, and, you know, in, in, they're all on different stages. And I want to talk about some of the symptoms of perimenopause because I, I want to sort of like out some of this information because I feel like people still don't know anything beyond, you know, I'm going to get hot flashes. I'm going to be a bitch. I didn't know. Right? I didn't know the word perimenopause till I was 45 years old and my psychiatrist mentioned it to me. That sounds no, about right to me too. Same. Yeah. I had no idea what it was. Like, I was like, hot flashes, ha, ha, ha. That happens to somebody when they're 60. Like, I had no, yeah, I think I had no I, idea. I thought that that was postmenopause as well. And, you know, and I, like I say in the book, it's one of these things where how long have I worked in sexual health, mm-hmm. right? Like it really, it, it made me feel very foolish. Even though I work with young people, I don't only work with young people, you know, I mean. Well, <laughs> right. We're also just alive in the world and we know people yeah. who've gone through this and yet nobody talks about it traditionally. Yeah. And now let's take a quick break for some ads. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. 
But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hia Sera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. And we're back. So yeah, so let's talk about what are the most common symptoms of menopause that might not be immediately recognizable as symptoms of menopause? Sure. Well, I mean, the first thing that I want to say is I, symptoms is not my favorite word, right? Because menopause isn't a disease, right? Mm -hmm. Menopause is it's just something that, you know, it's a life stage. It's something that happens to us. So mm-hmm. I, I like impacts or I like effects, right? Like we don't okay. say, we don't say symptoms of puberty, right? right like right. we just, there's, there's things that happen to us in puberty and there's things that happen to us in menopause. So, I mean, it is, menopause is an all systems situation, Right. So I think that's one of the things to think about is I so often our idea of what it is, if you know, besides hot flashes and bitchiness. Right. Which I agree. That's really the common thing is that we think of it as gynecological. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Even right. though it's not right. Like if anything, it's endocrine. Right. Like if we really wanted to really attach it to one system, it's endocrine. But honestly, it is an all systems situation. It's it's endocrine. It is gynecological. It's cardiovascular. It's neurological. Right. Wait, <laughs> like can, we, can we talk about how it's cardiovascular? I'm very curious sure. about that. Well, even when we're talking about hot flashes, you know, what's happening with hot flashes is both neurological and cardiovascular, right? So, I mean, all of these things are, they're all interplaying together. And I think that's one of the tricky things with with menopause is that we kind of think that we can put it in a tiny box, Right. And I think that this is kind of one of the problems with how we've been raised often to think about our bodies, period. Right. Is we've been raised to think about them as like all of our systems of our bodies, to think about them as like parallel streets that never intersect. Hmm. Right. And 
And then, you know, it's such a problematic way to think about them, especially when we get to something like this, or again, something like puberty, that is all systems in which one thing really interacts with almost everything, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, for instance, when you're talking about things that are cardiovascular, it's common in various stages of menopause. And again, this is one of these things where we're talking about billions of people with super diverse genetics, super diverse life histories, super diverse health histories, right? Life conditions. So how things go for people is really, really diverse. But people can have um, blood pressure issues is not uncommon for instance that's one of the things that can that can happen to people is that people can have issues with elevated blood pressure um in menopause that's one common thing that can happen people can have some issues with cholesterol that's something that can happen to people in menopause um and again a lot of this stuff will kind of depend on what's your what's your health up to now what, what do you come to this with, right? What are your pre-existing health conditions? What's already going on? Um, what's your life already like? Um, and I think that's one of the things that kind of gets left out so often is that when we talk about menopause, it's so common to think about it as this thing that happens and what it does. And really it's like how it's interacting with what's already going on. And two of the big things that are really are like, what's our pre-existing stress, right? Because that's a really big one. Um, and especially when you're talking about things like cardiovascular issues, right? Like somebody that already has a really heavy stress load in their life that has the kind of life situation where they just can't catch a break, you know, like whether it's that you're chronically ill, whether it's that you're in a really high stress job, whether it's that you're in an abusive relationship, whether it's that you are a caretaker, you know, whether you're working two shifts, you know, you just can't get any time to take care of yourself. You're going to have a harder time and probably more impacts of menopause because your cortisol levels are going to be higher because you're not going to be able to do some of the basic things to take care of yourself. Can I just say how angry it makes me that I'm hearing all of this for the first time? Sure. You know, I mean, I was shocked to read that only about 20% of all OBGYN residency programs even include menopause training. Yeah. Yeah. And that's who has the most of it. Right. Hmm. Like, right. Every other, right. Every other specialty has even less education. Right. Right. Like that's who has the most education on this. I mean, and the thing, too, is when you're talking about the things that can happen. I mean, I don't I'm like, you're mad. Let me make you more mad. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> just for fun. But, you know, the thing about that is when we're talking about impacts and effects, you know, the thing is, and this isn't this isn't to rag on OB-GYNs at all. You know, I'm, I'm so glad for OB-GYNs in the world, especially when you consider how many OB-GYNs 
act as general practitioners. You know, I, you know, especially as somebody who's worked in abortion, who's worked in sexual health, I am all too aware of how many OB-GYNs are stand-ins for general practitioners for people. And, you know, God bless them. But they, you know, an, an OB-GYN is generally not qualified to be a mental health care provider, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the most common things that can happen to people in menopause is there's often really big mental health impacts, whether that's anxiety, whether that's depression, whether that's suicidality, whether that's all three of those things, mm-hmm. right? And that's not something where, you know, a hormone therapy may or may not help with those things. Antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications may or may not help, but also an OB-GYN isn't really a person who's got the best education to work out those medications, right? Even when they yeah. can And so help. many of them are focused on the other side of the entire, the entire process. They're focused on babies. Right. Well, right. I mean, but because, and then again, that's not, that's not any failing of theirs. No. That's their practice, right? right? Like right. That, right. that's, that's their education. And so that's the other thing too, is that you have to kind of look at what is everybody else doing that they're ma- that they're kind of having OB-GYNs holding the whole bag with this. And you know what it is, right? Is that it's that menopause is considered this lady problem and OB-GYNs are considered the lady doctor of lady things. Mm-hmm. And so it's right. like, well, you just, they'll take care of it, right? Even though you're like, first of all, this is not a lady problem. This is a more than half the population problem of people of many genders. And it's an all systems issue, right? And so again, people who are going to be dealing with all of the different, like we need specialists for all of the different ways this can impact people. We need mental health care providers to be educated in this. We need endocrinologists to be educated in this. We know we need cardio specialists to be educated in this. We need neurologists to be educated in this. We need pain specialists to be educated in this. We need people who are treating other people's pre-existing conditions to be educated in this because they need to, to have some idea about how this can interplay, right, with other pre-existing conditions. So yeah, to leave OB-GYNs holding the whole bag is ludicrous. He- yeah. Heather, what do you think? I am. Um, sorry, go ahead, go. Jen. Go ahead. I was going to say just on pre-existing conditions because I there's something in your book that I've never seen before and was really a massive aha moment for me. Um, in the book, you write about some of the predictors in pre-existing conditions that may make menopause harder for some than others. And one of those you say is trauma mm-hmm. and being a survivor of trauma. I, I've never seen this before and I found it so fascinating. Can you explain this a little bit? Sure. I mean... Th- it, it's one of these things where one, this is f- newer information because of course trauma is a newer framework, right? You know, when I was kind of going through and doing all of the research, I kind of, st- you know, I started as far back as I could, right? Like, so as far back as I could to kind of deal with any mention of this at all is about 1600s. You're not seeing trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> right back then, right? You're not really seeing any mention of trauma until the last... 30 years or so really because it's just it's it's not it's not really a framework that we had um and it's also one of these things where again you know when you when you do see it not named that way it's how do i put this it's it's misrepresented you know so certainly you'll see things 
come up when you look at where menopause is named in early psychotherapy, right? When you look at the Freudian bullshit and it's called hysteria, mm-hmm. right? And then and you're right. looking at how people's trauma is misattributed to them being hysterical when in fact some of what is happening there is that these are manifestations of people's trauma, not people being whiners about nothing. Um, <laughs> you've got some sexist asshole who's just like, oh, their problem is that they have a uterus and they need an orgasm, right? I mean, one, their problem is you, dude. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> um, but, but so much of it there is that, um, you know, if you've, when we've got things to look at, like um, frameworks like the body keeps the score, you know, and once we started, once there started to be information about the, you know, the impact of the way that the bodies hold trauma and the impact of the way that um, when we have other things going on. And again, when you're talking about how stress plays in, right, and the way that we kind of hold stress when we've got other things going on, especially, again, the uh, really big one are things like vasomotor impacts, so hot flashes, that's a big play with it. Mental health stuff, that's another really big play, especially with depression, with suicidality. Um, then you've got, you know, other stuff can wind in there too. One of the things that is really um, kind of upsetting to me, and that's a whole section of the book, and there were some really great people that I talked to about this, is that there's a lot of anti-fat um, bias out and about and kind of predation around menopause. And there's a lot to really kind of help you feel really bad about yourself and your body and the way that it's changing with this. Um, And so already if you've got, you know, kind of body memories around trauma and negative body image around, let me roll that back. If you've got body memories because of trauma and negative body image that's based in trauma, right? And that's kind of coming into play more because of menopause. And then you're getting crummy messaging around this, right? That that you have right. to fix it, that you need to try and lose weight right now, you know, that you need to do all of this. And then this other stuff is happening. It, ugh, it's just, it's, it's kind of a perfect storm. But it's also one of these things where I think you know, for such a long time, in order, you know, again, we're looking at something that has been, it's considered a women's thing, right? And so by virtue of being considered something that it's about, that's about women, it's something that hasn't been taken seriously. (laughs) So trauma in this, you know, in this instance is then mostly women's pain, you know, and so that hasn't been taken seriously, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's, you know, it's so much easier for the, you know, for this to be looked at as the lens of hormonal imbalance, right, than to say, well, what if it's not a hormonal imbalance? What if it's that, you know, hormones are doing their thing and they may be in chaos and people may be feeling badly, but the imbalance isn't the hormones. The imbalance is the way that everybody's had to live up to this point and the way everybody is still living in this world, unsupported, unseen, 
in so much trauma, right? In such a mess up until now, and now in this place still so uncared for, right? And still so disrespected. Is this ever going to change? Well, I mean, I think that we can change it. I mean, this is, you know, this is one of the things I just said this when Mona and I were did the launch last week, which is that one of the things that is really exciting to me is that our particular cohort is like the largest cohort so far, right, to be in perimenopause going into menopause. Like, there's more of us than there's ever been, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Which is really very exciting and really cool. <laughs> because... I mean... <laughs> Right. Keep going. Right. Right. Okay. So, which is to say that when we say, is this ever going to change? I mean, if anybody's got the power to change it, it's us, right? Because we're all really fucking mad and we're really sick of this shit. And also we are very short tempered right now. You know, and 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 look, the people that are older than us are they're dying out, you know, like it's. (laughs) We're, you know, we we are going to be the people in power. We are the people coming into power. That's that's happening. You know, that's happening yes. right now. So, you know, a lot of it is going to be, well, you know, it depends. It depends on what we do with our power. Yeah. And also, and, and you know, to your earlier point, how many people decide that what they will do with their power is make some money? Well, yeah. And I, you know, and I, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot to say there because also too, I don't think that we should be, I think we have to be careful in quick assumptions that we'll do the right thing. Like, I don't think that we should be lazy about that because, you know, it's not just, I think it's really easy to kind of look back and say, oh, the problem was men because the problem wasn't just men. The problem was also white supremacy, you know, and the problem was also capitalism, right? And both of those things, you don't need men for those things, right? And we certainly know from America over even just the last four years that white women are wholly capable of making huge problems with those two things all by themselves Mm -hmm. just fine. You know, so, you know, it's not like, I think it's definitely one of those things where it's like, again, what we, what will we do with that power? And, you know, how careful are we going to be with it? (laughs) You know, are we going to, are we going to make sure that it's, that everybody's sharing it equally? Are we going to make sure that there's some real equity in that power? Are we going to make sure that everybody's lifting each other up? Which is the thing that I say that when I, when I read people, and again, it is, you know, usually white women in this saying, oh, I'm so excited to make money off of other women that I get upset because I'm thinking, no, no, that's not what we're supposed to do for that's not that's not those of us that are in this what it's very upsetting to me that that's 
that's what you're identifying first, because I really think that it's very important that what we identify first, however we identify our gender, right? If we're in this, what we should be identifying first is how we're going to hold each other up. Mm-hmm. And how, where do you think that starts? Like, I, I think it starts with education, right? I mean, I think everything we're talking about, you know, we're educated people in the world, you know, we have such as they are white collar jobs. Um, <laughs> but we didn't know anything about this. And, and as I've gotten more into doing this podcast, and Kim and I talk about this stuff all the time, we talk about with guests, I spread as much as I can to my friends, you know, I, I and everyone I know, like, let's start talking about this. I feel like that is the first step is education. Because if not, the loneliness, the isolation is so profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, education and community. I, I would, think. Yes. I was going to ask about that because I thought it was interesting that you you really um, go you you really make a point that it's important to ask for help when you're dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Why is that so important? You know, a lo- there's an awful lot of research. Um, I mean, there really is when you kind of start to dig into the piles of studies. There is an awful lot of research that holds up that one of the things that will really fuck us up in this is not having community. You know, like it's what what helps us in this when it comes to things like, you know, medications and if we can find the thing that helps us get sleep or not get sleep and if we can figure out the stuff to eat that upsets our stomach or doesn't upset our stomach, that's all a lot trickier, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it really is. And it's, you know, you even with a medication, you know, you try this thing, you have to adjust that thing. It's a long process. But one of the things that is, you know, in some way a whole lot less complicated is that when we are not alone in this, we do much better. You know, like it's just just to not be alone in this. Now, you know, I want to I want to put a caveat there and I especially want to put a caveat there as a queer and non-binary person, and I want to put a caveat there as a white person who's trying to do a good job of not being an asshole, which is to say that that community has to be good community, right? So if that community isn't inclusive, right, or if that community is not being mindful about things like supremacy or anti-fat bias or ableism, then it's not necessarily going to be helpful community, right? If it doesn't really feel like community and you don't really feel like you belong there, obviously it's not so helpful. And there's a lot of menopause communities out there right now, and most of them are really crummy. You know, like there's a lot and and a lot of it is fat. There's a lot of fat shaming, like really a lot of fat shaming. There's just a lot of kind of internalized body body hating that's externalized, you know, so there's kind of like group body bashing that happens. I can so easily, I'm sorry to interrupt. I can so easily see that happening because that's a place that women often, right, what, you know, default to anyway. Is well, there- right. There's a there's that learn the places where a lot of women have learned to bond, like that kind yes. of weird mm-hmm. socialized bonding, bonding by shared body bashing or bonding by diets, diets, bonding by normalizing um, 
uh, abusive or dysfunctional relationships that happens, right? There's a lot of like people talking about relationships that are actually unhealthy or even abusive, but it's normalized. That happens. Um, there's a lot of ableism, like really, really yucky ableism in some of them. But, you know, like we, we can make communities that either don't have that in that or when it shows up, you know, we, we work it out. You See, know, we... <laughs> this would make me so happy if this actually existed in my life because, I mean, I'm, I, I haven't had my period in a year and a half. So I'm, I'm pretty squarely you menopausal. You did it. I did it. Yeah, you did it. I did it. Woohoo! You did it! <laughs> But I've had I've had two major um, impacts. I'll call them. Is that right? Um, sure. Insomnia, wicked bad insomnia, and weight Ugh. and weight gain. Yeah. And if I had, and I am miserable when I'm insomniac. I can't sleep. I sleep four hours a night, three hours a night. I would, if I could trade one of those and only have one of them, I would choose the fucking insomnia because I cannot. I really dislike what's happened to my body and. Over the past year and a half, I have found myself struggling, like, on my own to figure out how to be at peace with this body, how to have some radical acceptance about around the fact that this is what I look like in a photograph now. Sure. And it's um, the idea of having a community. I mean, how do you build a community around things like that? How do you start? Um. Well, for, I'll, I'm going to send you to some, for one. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> because they exist. But I think, but I also think is that you can just start them, right? Like, I think that that's one of these things that, you know, I'll be really specific with this particular example, right? Which is that you can, you know, you can grab a, you can talk to a couple of friends and say what you just said to me, mm -hmm. right? And say, can we, can we hang out sometimes and just, would you be willing to be people for me where we can talk about accepting our bodies and, and then you make some agreements, mm -hmm. right? Can we agree that we're not going to do any body bashing? Can we agree that we're going to just focus on accepting our bodies? Can we agree that we're not going to do diet talk in this, you know, in this space that we're doing this we're just going to do things that kind of support us um in in body acceptance and weight neutrality because that's that's what i really need right now mm -hmm. and maybe you find two friends to agree to do that and you know if that's solid it it can turn out that those two friends say hey you know my friend so and so i was talking to them about this and they can they come in and do this too because they said they really needed this like it's just those things can grow, right? Like, and, but yeah. it generally really just starts with an ask, you know, a clear ask and a, and a clear set of boundaries and agreements. And you keep it simple, you know, <laughs> like it's just really simple. I need this and I, we need to, I'm asking to keep this out. People have the hardest time asking for help. I think it's always so important to remember that people love to be asked for help. Yeah. 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 I, I, I think that that's something that comes up a lot when we're talking to women of our age. The first off, the asking, the asking, the having a hard time asking for help, but even more remembering how much people love to be asked and how much we all want to feel connected to. I think we forget that. I feel like, especially in the last year, I think we've forgotten how much this connection feels so good. Um, speaking of being inclusive, I, I want to talk a little bit about... Um, 
the challenges that non-binary and trans men face with menopause, but more how we can speak and be more inclusive of trans men and non-binary people as we talk about menopause. Sure. You know, I mean, I think there's some easy ways and then there's some stuff that's a little more tricky and more complicated. I mean, one of the biggies is just to for everybody to start to learn to say people. You know, we can mm-hmm. we can talk about things with women, right? Because more of the people that experience menopause are women and certainly culturally, right? There are issues that that are pertinent to women in this, right? So it's not like we can't talk about women. We absolutely can talk about women. Of course we can. And a lot of the things that, you know, that impact women in this and the ways that women are oppressed in this also oppress trans men and non-binary people in this as well, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I, I wish that, you know, in some ways, some of the stuff cuts down to just who's cis men and who's not, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. You know, right. You know, that's not the lang- that's not the language that that we use in the world, but you know, sometimes it really cuts down to being that simple. Um, but again, if you know, the more that we can just talk about people. I mean, I think another thing too is that, you know, one of the toughest things with this is that a lot of the time correcting people on their language with this kind of always gets put on those of us who are non-binary and trans, right? Which is kind of like a lot. So it's always really helpful when cisgender people can kind of take up the mantle and they can correct other cisgender people who kind of say, you know, women, 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 you know, and they they talk. Right. Lady, uh, lady parts, lady, right. lady, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, or they talk about, I mean, it's, again, it's one thing to talk about women experiencing menopause, but it's another thing to talk about it as exclusive to women, right? So when people are talking about menopause as something that exclusively happens to women, anything that anybody can do to just interrupt and disrupt that and just say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, excuse me. Can you, you know, it happens to trans men and non-binary people too. Can you just remember to say people? Um, That way it kind of takes the burden off of everybody else from doing that (laughs) because- Right, right, right. It's kind of a, from it's the marginalized of, people to have to educate people, right, which, is a, right. which is a problem just across the board, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's just it's yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of a it's kind of a lot sometimes, and then it's just always you know the spotlights on you, and it just gets no, it's, it makes perfect it's, sense. It's a little much, um, you know. I think another thing that people forget is that not every you know not every trans man will medically transition. Right. And that's that's more and more the case with younger generations. Right. So so some trans men will take tea. Right. And so some trans men won't experience menopause and perimenopause the way that we are now. Right. They'll kind of go through it in the way that you do when you take tea, which is to say that you mostly will go through it when you take tea. What is tea? Uh, Right. Testosterone. Testosterone. I'm so sorry. Um, which, so it'll be kind of a, it'll be kind of short and sweet because testosterone will kind of take it by virtue of basically your testosterone levels will go high enough that it'll push down your estrogen levels, right? It'll just kind of change that balance. So it'll 
basically kind of force you into early menopause? I mean, if you're, unless you're our age, right? If you're our age and you, and you start testosterone now, it'll just kind of make this all move a little bit faster. Hmm. Um, you know, I, that's one thing that kind of some people. It's tempting actually. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's actually, it's an option. I mean, low dose testosterone is actually one option. Um, of many options. It's one of the things that's, that's in the book as one kind of hormone therapy for this. There's a couple of different things it could do right now, like for a, like not off label, you know, as specifically classified for use with perimenopause and menopause, it's, um, prescribed for sexual desire issues. Um, but it off label, it's been found to be useful for a whole bunch of different potential menopausal impacts. Um, some mood stuff, for vasomotor stuff, um, for some sleep things. So that's one of the things that you could talk to people about, but, uh, you might run into, this is one of these things where culturally people are a little funny about it. Still, there's mm-hmm. still, some, you know, there's some transphobia in the mix about it. There's particularly, you'll, you'll definitely hit some people's gender biases around it with people's ideas about femininity and masculinity. And are you sure you want that right now? I mean, like it's, it right. might, it right. might be one of those things where if you, um, if it is something that you're thinking about and you run into any issues with. Um, healthcare providers that you're seeing, your GP or your gyne, you might be better off to talk to a trans health provider, huh. even if that's not even if that's not the reason that you're specifically looking um, to use testosterone. But um, but it what I was going to say is that some people who haven't medically transitioned until now and think, oh, it's too late for me. One, I mean, it's never too late to transition if that's something that somebody wants to do. But if you are starting to be in perimenopause, it is actually something that can potentially ease this transition a little bit. So it not only isn't too late, it actually might be a good thing. So just putting that out there. No, that's that's cool. What are some of the things menopausal and perimenopausal people can do when their sex drive drops? Well, it might not necessarily. That's one thing that I want to kind of put out there. It's funny, you know, when I when I first started writing this, because sex is, you know, usually what I write about, uh, pretty much everybody thought that I was writing a menopause sex book, right? And I was like, there's really not enough to write about. <laughs> to write a menopause sex book. And they were like, what are you talking about? Like everyone was surprised, which is not surprising to me because I had it in my head to like, if I, what I thought happened before I, you know, knew the things that I know now, uh, was that again, I thought you had hot flashes, my period stopped and I wouldn't want sex as much as I want sex. Right. Like those were pretty much the, and I'd be crabby, which, you know, I, I guess some things were true. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but not everybody's does, you know, like really what in the long run, you, it really seems to be that you get as much kind of ebb and flow, right. When it comes to people's sexual desire in, especially the kind of entire menopausal transition, you have times where there are some rises and you have times where there are some dips kind of just really like 
in the rest of life. And I think one of the things to think about too is that when and if people do have a dip, right, and people are having issues where they're having less sexual desire, there can be a whole bunch of different reasons for it. And they're not necessarily hormonal. They, they could be hormonal, right? So it absolutely can be if, you know, if it's happening at the point where it's later in the transition, so you are talking about low estrogen, um, it can be hormonal, but it also can be that your sleep is interrupted, right? So you're exhausted. It can be that all of this stuff has you super stressed out. So you're not particularly interested in sex because you're super stressed out. It can be that this has messed with your body image in a really big way. So that's impacting your desire. It can be that this has an impact in your sexual relationship, right? So that's what's got you all messed up. It can be that, like with so many people, you're experiencing depression um, in your perimenopause or with menopause. And so that's what's going on. Or, you know, there's a section in the book where I wrote about a lot of the times what's not working for people, you know, in their sexual life in menopause is the same shit that wasn't working for people before. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it can be stuff where it's just like, you know, if you were in a relationship, you know, that was just kind of sexually dead already, then, yeah, (laughs) it's, you know, like, right, it's still dead, like nothing has changed there. Or if you, you know, you are not getting what you wanted out of your sex life, then again, like it's, you're still going to need to try and find the things that you want out of your sex life. If you needed to be using lube, you need to be using lube even more than you already did. Um, So, I mean, it's always, it's worth it. It, if for you to go ahead, if you want to, again, no one has to go to the doctor with any of this. And I feel like that's really important to say, especially for people who, you know, have really valid issues about the doctor, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, whether that's about that, they don't have the money to go to the doctor, or they don't have healthcare access, or they have medical trauma. Um, And so going to the doctor earnestly doesn't make them feel better. Um, You don't have to, but if you like to, um, and you want to go to the doctor, then by all means, I, you know, I feel like it's always worth it to check with your doctor first to see if something medical is going on and see what your options are with medical interventions. Because if you, you know, if you are having sexual desire issues, again, you can try something like some kind of hormone therapy. If it's about depression or anxiety, you can try a medication um, for one of those things. Um, but again, it might be that you need to make lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think another, there's also, yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. And I mean, another thing that I want to kind of make clear and say too, is I think that, you know, as a sex educator, one of the things that I kind of see more in like mainstream world is that people tend to really freak out when they stop desiring sex. There's this, and I think it's especially the case at this age where there's this thought that if you stop desiring sex now, it's the end, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh no, if I don't want it now, that means I'll never want it again. And nothing that we know about sex, neither from anecdote nor study 
holds water. Like that's, that's just not true. What we know about sex and people's desire for sex is that all through the lifespan, it's very normal for us to have times when we're really, really interested and times when we're really, really not, you know, like, and I, it's also something that we know is that when we freak out, right, about anything to do with sex, it's like the surest thing to make us want it less <laughs> to, and to right. negatively impact our sex lives. And so it's also okay to let ourselves have times of our life that aren't particularly sexual, right? Or to be like, oh, you know what? If I don't want to be sexual right now, what happens if I just, let's see what this time of life is like without being sexual for a while. So it's also one of those things where we don't have to think of it as something broken that we have to fix. We can also just let it be what it is and see where that leads us. And that's okay. That's okay too. That's really fucking challenging. I got to say. Well, cause also the messaging of, I mean, and of course the messaging of use it or lose it, which I had a friend go to a gynecologist like a couple weeks ago and get that message. Like I hate that shit so bad. I, I, I feel like it's not only disgusting. It's almost like it's violent and like violating in a way. It's know? rapey. It's yeah. totally rapey. It is. Mm-hmm. It's rapey. And And it's, I love that you're saying this because it, it doesn't make us less than if we're just not interested in sex for a little while. And I feel like we're just supposed to be sexual beings all the time. And if not, you're like old. And again, it goes back to that thing of like losing your value and everything else. And I, and I, the worst thing I feel like we could do in this moment in our lives is, is perform sex, perform sexuality when we're going through so much else to mm-hmm. then like perform that we feel something that we don't. I, I, I really like what you're saying here because I, I do think it is just always sort of radical acceptance of where you are in your life and it's okay. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I mean, and if not, if not now, if not this time in our life to say, oh my God, I'm done with that. When? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like this is the time because and what a great time this would be to do it, because, you know, for many of us, there's still plenty of time on the other side then for us to live a life of not doing that shit anymore. Right. Right. You know, but also we have to get through this. And part of getting through this is taking care of ourselves. And we can't do a very good job of taking care of ourselves if we're just still trying to do what we think we need to do to appease other people, you know, or to try and meet other people's standards, standards that we never wrote those scripts. We didn't write them. Other people wrote them. And they're for them. They're for their benefit. They're not for our benefit. Right. 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 And like this sort of like weird heteronormative, like, I mean, this idea that like we have to like please a man and like all this like gross messaging that came in for, you know, straight women when we were young, you know, that like, oh, well, they'll leave you, they'll this. I really feel like even if we think we're so evolved, it's still there. 
You know, that those right. like fears and that anxiety. And again, if you're all stirred up and stressed out and you're already carrying like because you're in this heteronormative situation, you're already carrying the emotional labor of your household. And then on top of this, you maybe don't feel like having sex and you're like, oh, but I got to fuck because that's part of my duties. You right. know, it's like so 1950s. But I yeah, think it's gross. it still exists. It's gross, but I think it's still there. I think it's, it's still a- there oh, yeah. somewhere. It's totally there. Oh, and it's not even just, it's not even just for straight people. Think of, I mean, lesbian bed death, like think of how often that phrase is bandied about and thrown around and made into a thing, right? Like that I'm like, oh no, that's put, that's, that's put on everybody. You know, it's really, yeah, it's, it's super gross, but it's not like, I don't, I don't think that. I don't think that that serves, I don't think that serves anybody. And I think it's also one of these things where you have to, if we trust ourselves, right, we trust our sexualities and we also trust our bodies that if we listen to them, right, and we just honor what they are telling us that they want, they'll lead us to the good stuff, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, and, right. and, and some of that may be places that we haven't been before. Right. You know, and that's the other thing is that, especially when you're talking about things like sex or you're talking about, like we were talking earlier with community and friendship, you know, they're not necessarily gonna look like what they looked like before, especially if we don't keep trying to make them what they were before. If we let them look different and we let ourselves make something different than we had before. And not being afraid of the change. Exactly. Like not the, the change, but right. not being afraid of like becoming something that you, that becoming something different. Right. Evolving your life. And I think that part of this, as we're having this conversation, I think part of this is the fear of being fixed in a self-definition and recognizing somewhere, oh, things are changing. I feel different. I maybe want to know different people. I maybe want to experience sex in a different way. And the terror of what's, because you don't know, it's the unknown, right? What's on the other side of this? If I, I know what I've had, I don't know what comes next, right? right? And I think probably there's so much anxiety in that, in transformation, and that's adding, that's exacerbating all of the issues because then if you're stressed and anxious, all the, all the perimenopause, um, all the perimenopause effects are worse, right? right. So. I mean, the funny thing is, is that for all of this that has sucked for me, that part doesn't bother me. Hmm. Like when I was teaching early childhood education, I think I liked it because little kids are just ca- like chaos agents. Hmm. And I loved that about them that's my that's my favorite thing about them i i'm not a i'm not a person who needs to be in control i actually really like to relinquish control a lot and there's so much that i hate about this (laughs) that could be its whole own show Mm -hmm. like what do i hate about this let me count the ways like there's so (laughs) fucking much that i hate about this but one of the things that i don't hate about this is that i can't 
control this. Mm -hmm. Like that part of this, I actually really like about this because you know what? It's not on me. And I like that where it's going, I don't fucking know. Like it's, (laughs) that to me feels very liberating and very freeing, especially at this time in my life when, you know, like, let's be real about it. There are not a whole lot of surprises <laughs> by now. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, it's not super easy to surprise me. So the fact that there's kind of all of this stuff that if I just, if I just kind of let go, you know, that I'm like, well, I guess <laughs> that's going to go where it's taking me. That there's, you know, there's there's a degree of adventure in it. At least there's that. I might feel like shit, you know, yeah. <laughs> like that right. that's real. But there's that. Well, that seems as good a spot as any to stop in. Opt- optimistic, <laughs> yeah. optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> Heather. <laughs> We don't fucking know, and that's just going to have to be enough. Um, Heather, thank you so much, and I might, I might continue to to try to be your friend on social media. I hope that's okay. We should be friends, of course. We should be friends. <laughs> Please. Um, anyway, yes, I'm so glad I found you. So thank you for doing the show. Really. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Heather. Thanks for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts. I'm Jen Romolini. And I'm Kim France. Uh, if you like the show and you want to support the show, please rate or review us on all the platforms, particularly Apple Podcasts. It helps us find new listeners, and that really helps the show. Uh, you can also email us at everythingisfinethepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Instagram, EIF Podcast. We're also on Twitter, on Facebook, and you can find Kim on her blog, Girls of a Certain Age. And if you're interested in bonus features, bonus episodes, bonus blogs, we're also doing weekly playlists, you can subscribe to our Patreon, which is patreon.com backslash everything is fine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.